Welcome to the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Your weekend wake-up tradition. It's Rosie on the House. And if you were waking up on this day in 1952, as a resident of Tucson, Arizona, it would be the last day without television. Four stations made their debut on April 14th in 1952 in Tucson. Now, if you're not a, what do they call it, a boob tube? And somebody that sits around and watch TV all day, there's some great things going on in southern Arizona as we focus on Douglas all month long. As our staycation winner, we'll be traveling to the Gadsden Hotel next weekend. There is hummingbird banding at Casa de San Pedro Bed and Breakfast this week and at the San Pedro River uh, Riparian Preserve. Ten species of hummingbird use that green corridor of the San Pedro River as their guide migrating north and south. You can go to sabo.org. That is the Southern Arizona Bird Observatory. Hummingbirds aren't your thing. Maybe you like astronomy. The Patterson Observatory, what they call Sierra Vista's best-kept secret, has their UA... uh, Family date going on today, and once a month they have a public night. It's the first Thursday next to Quarter Moon, so you've actually missed it. That was uh, this Thursday, but May 9th is your next public observatory. But if you want to really get into astronomy, the Huachuca Astronomy Club has a very busy 2019 schedule. They do at least... uh, At least uh, seven events a month. We'll have the Douglas Days uh, event coordinator on later this month. Douglas Days will be at the beginning of May, but they're actually having their Miss Douglas Days pageant tonight. You know, you got to have the pageant before the parade because you got to know who the queen is. And that pageant's going on tonight at Douglas. And we'll be talking all things Southern Arizona throughout the rest of the month covering Douglas. We focus whatever our staycation destination is all month long very heavily so that all listeners of Arizona can get really uh, educated and aware of all things that are in different parts of the state. It's a great state with lots to do. If you're looking uh, to go maybe take the little ones out for a a zoo, the Wildlife View, the Wildlife Zoo (laughs) and Aquarium and Safari Park in Waddell was listed by Reader's Digest as the top zoo in Arizona. Uh, Main reasons were 600 species, uh, 6,000 animals, and it's got a baby zoo animal nursery. And this one really puzzled me. A dragon world exhibit? You can have a zoo on fictitious animals? That one. That one I hadn't figured out, but it is a great zoo. Uh, we, the, I haven't been to the Phoenix Zoo in years, but this Phoenix one's closest awesome. to our house. And that one's so when we go to the zoo, we always go to the one in Waddell. You know what I'm ashamed of? I live and run behind the zoo for, uh, what, 20 years in the neighborhood. I have never been inside the zoo. <laughs> never. Never. Some would say you belong there, Gary. 
Uh, uh, quite a few uh, family members say the same thing. It better be nice to Gary. Yeah, that's right. As long as I get bananas he, in the monkey cage, I'm good. He walked into that one. He gave that one to me. <laughs> and for boaters at Lake Pleasant, the Awa Fria Arm is open. It's a little earlier than usual. Uh, they always close it for the bald eagle nesting, but the boat part of it, so on the water, you can access the Awa Fria. But today, I don't know what it was that brought up this topic. It might have been the True West Magazine article, Rails. Trains, rails, and automobiles. Might have been the article in the Wall Street Journal about them trying to rework the train routes in St. Louis and Kansas City. But I came into the office one day and I said, guys, we've got to do a story on trains. And everybody loved it. And so we're thinking, all right, who who are we going to find to do this? Williams, the first Saturday of the month, they fire up their old steam engine locomotive uh, for people to go up there and enjoy and we thought, well, we've, we've just got to spend a Saturday talking trains. So we brought Dr. Dean from Grand Canyon. You, um, is it Grand Canyon? Grand Canyon University. Uh, I, I cannot hear you. <laughs> is it? We're all having headset problems this morning. But, but, good morning. Good morning. There he is, Dr. Dean. It's good to be History here again. professor from Grand Canyon U- University, and you've brought your... Apprentice in, Nicole Rodriguez, senior, majors in public history, did a lot of the research and typing. When I got this, I thought, man, Dr. Dean must have not, like, no college classes this year or something. He's <laughs> got way he too much time to put all this together. Well, I thought, I never knew he loved trains so much. <laughs> Romy and I sat and read the outline yesterday afternoon going, wow, I didn't know that. This is so cool. But we'll never, we're going to have to leave it to Dr. Dean to give us an hour lesson. Sure. Well, you know, trains are always a very fascinating Thing. And since a little boy, you know, those big locomotives and the sound of the rumbles and stuff, you know. So I've always liked trains. My dad liked trains. And so trains are always kind of a big thing. And as a professor of history, talking about American history, trains are one of the most important, the railroads, one of the most important economic engines of the ni- late 19th century. Nothing would have happened. We would not be the great country that we are coast to coast without the Transcontinental Railroad and the railroads and stuff. So it's a huge deal, and so I'm happy to talk about railroads. Well, you've got a great outline, and I'm just going to turn it over to you and just sit here and absorb. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you know, the main thing that I kind of want to start with is to talk a little bit about context. Um, the, as I mentioned, the Transcontinental Railroad is a very important uh, uh, issue, um, and, and it's an important achievement for the United States because – it solves a big problem, east and west. It ties the country together in a way that we hadn't thought of before. It's also a huge economic engine in terms of what it does in terms of our economy, in terms of taking raw materials from the west, mines, agriculture, and sending that stuff back east to be processed or to feed the appetite of the industrializing east, where it's turned into products, and then those products are brought out to the west to be sold to miners and farmers and homesteaders and all those kind of things. And so this relationship ends up creating more people coming to the West. As they come to the West, they produce more from the West. They send that stuff back. They need more things made to be brought back out to the West. That creates more jobs, jobs not just uh, in agriculture and mining, but now you need hotels and restaurants and teachers and churches and politicians and government. And you start getting more and more jobs. The railroads start to expand, more jobs in the railroads. It's a huge economic engine that you cannot ignore. And without it, we we don't have that big country thing. And of course, to Arizona, 
it's Arizona's a microcosm of all the different issues that go on with the development of the railroad all happen right here in, in Arizona. And so it's a good way to kind of look at one little area and talk about the big things. Like, for example, north and south. What is Arizona was in a controversy of being Confederate or Union in the Civil War era. And the railroad is part of that because if the railroad terminates in the east, in the south, then the south gets the economic benefit. Terminates in the north, then they get it. So Congress for 10 years is arguing over where this Transcontinental Railroad is going to start. And they can't figure it out. In fact, the Civil War splits Congress, the Southerners go away, and the remainders in Congress, the Republicans there, then voted the Transcontinental Railroad Act and said, let's start it in St. Louis and go right across the middle. And so the North gets the benefit of it, and Southern Arizona doesn't get its railroad until a little bit later on. I see you have a question coming. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just fascinated. And there's so many things that going through your list here that just jump out, but I know I'm going to derail your train of thought if I, <laughs> if I interject, and I don't want to be jumping all over the place. Let's stay in a chronological time frame here. Okay, okay. so um, once the Congress decided that they were going to build a railroad east and west, the Transcontinental Railroad goes, and, and understand how Congress is financing this. They have lots of land in the United States that they've uh, acquired or are or, or managing. So they give the railroads land, and they say somewhere in this stretch of land that's width of land going east-west, build your railroad. Anywhere you're not going to build a railroad, to finance it, you can lease the land to somebody or sell the land around it in order to finance the railroads, the materials, and the labor. And then anything else you get to keep is profit. So the railroads use this to basically create little railroad towns or to sell off to farmers or ranchers or whatnot or to lease that land, and they create a lot of money. So you can imagine there's a lot of corruption going on because everybody no. wants no, yeah. So every, <laughs> everybody wants to get in on this, and so the railroads would sometimes even promise, hey, we'll build a railroad over this way, start leasing off the land, collect the money, and then go, you know, the rocks are too hard there, the mountain's too high, sorry, we're going to go this direction over here. And people got, you know, taken for some of that. Now, I don't want to make the railroad sound out terrible in all cases, but it was a time of speculation. It was really unregulated, and it was a, not just endeavor to build the railroad, but it was also this make money, make money. And so it's also letting other people make money, miners, farmers, hotel people, restaurants, post, you know, everything. So it's just this huge economic engine, and that creates opportunity, but also creates a few bad actors. One of the things I enjoy about this job is the manufacturing. When we get to go see Pella's plant, when we get to go see Belgar, when we get to go into some place that they're uh, creating these American-made products, I would have loved to stepped into a 1850s locomotive building shop and seen that. The, the massive construction of oh these my gigantic uh, industrial the machines. The amount of metal with... No phones, no internet. <laughs> well, the, the, I mean, just the manufacturing marvel of machining all the things that go into creating a locomotive and then the train cars and all that stuff is just amazing. But then there's also the maintenance of them and there's how they, the technologies of switching them. Because when they build a railroad, they only build one direction. They build one track. And so every so often they have to take a train going east to west they have to put a switch on it to move it to the side so a train coming west to east can go by. And so that 
all that technology, all that planning, all that scheduling, all, again, creates more technologies. The telegraph helps uh, us understand time zones. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that all come about because of the railroad that you would have never gotten without. Well, we're going to continue our conversation on trains here with Dr. Dean from Grand Canyon University here at Rosie on the House. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. From the great Atlantic Ocean to the wide Pacific shore, she climbs the flowery mountains or the hills and by the shore. True or false for a set of Arizona State Parks passes, Dr. James Douglas, the gentleman that founded Douglas, Arizona, and invented a new way to extract copper from ore, was originally Canadian. If you think that's true, text TRUE or T to 411923F or FALSE for FALSE, and we'll pick a random right winner at the end of this programming segment and send you to any one of Arizona's 35 state parks. We're featuring Southern Arizona, so I I thought I'd highlight Karsher Caverns this weekend. Today at 9.45 a.m. and 12.20, right after lunch, they have sign language tours. So if you're hearing impaired, uh, that's a great opportunity. They've got the a sign language tour guide uh, to take you through the Karsher Caverns, just one of Arizona's great 35 state parks. You can actually download the app and plan your Arizona staycation around a, a state park. It's also Country Thunder this weekend. This picture is why I don't go. Can you imagine sitting in that mess <laughs> on the freeway? Nothing I want that bad. No way. But tonight, Arizona's Dirks Bentley does take the main stage at 10 o'clock. And tomorrow night, Chris Stapleton takes the stage at 9. Amanda and I would go if we weren't generally already asleep by those times. <laughs> but we're talking trains with Dr. Dean, and we're going to jump into Arizona Uh as we established earlier, the rails hit the northern Arizona first, uh, coming across they, from state. Actually, they hit the southern part of the state first. In uh, 1870s, they come through the Southern Pacific Railroad. The north. I got gotcha. you. You were taking, saying northern Arizona and southern Arizona. <laughs> the north versus the oh, south. Oh, no, sorry. You're right. Sorry. The north gets the, the Transcontinental Railroad first, but in the 1870s, the railroad comes to southern, southern Arizona, Arizona first. the Southern Pacific Railroad. It actually comes from California, work its way, gets to Yuma, and then there's not a – they don't have a charter. They don't have a, the permission, so to speak, to cross at Yuma. Uh, but the railroad – that's how it could stop the railroad company. And so they kind of snuck out onto the bridge piers, and they started to – there's only like four guys down there guarding it from the <laughs> troops. And so they couldn't really stop the railroad company. So they laid the track at night and got it across the river – and then continued on up to um, uh, Maricopa and Casa Grande uh, as it comes from that way. And then later it'll start over in New Mexico and head the other way uh, along the 35th parallel to come in and join up with it at Casa Grande. And so that's how we get kind of our early southern Arizona. Um, the state territorial legislature was very involved in this. They kind of helped guide where it would go. And again, appropriating the right-of-way or the pathway that the railroads are going to take. Because then again, they want to find something that's a flat grade as much as possible or that land that's developable that they can lease or sell or something like that. And so we get our our um, our – Southern Pacific Railroad comes in in about the 1870s or so. Later we'll get one to the north, but I think we'll talk about that uh, after the break. And when you're building a railroad, you're talking about flats. So there's a lot of area in Arizona. They could move pretty quick building it. Right. There's areas you hit, and you got to start picking rock. 
That kind of slows things down a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, that kind of explains why it's really – we've never really had a good solid railroad between Phoenix and Flagstaff. If you've ever driven that, just the I-17 road itself has several big dips and climbs and whatnot. You can't span that with bridges. You can't blast through it. And so that's a very difficult way. So to the fringes and the perimeters is where the railroad goes. But we go east-west. And that's also because more of the economic development is east-west. Take things that we have out here, mining particularly, that raw materials that send it back east. You mentioned about Pella windows. Everybody that comes out here has to have windows on their houses. Well, all that stuff is made back east, put on a railroad, and come back. In fact, in your Sears Robot catalog in the 1890s, you could buy a whole house. And it gets put on a train car. And gets delivered to you out here. The first manufactured home. <laughs> manufactured homes, that's right. They don't call them mobile homes because they just move <laughs> once. But, uh, but yeah, in fact, there's still a few of those around people will come across. Uh, and you can tell if, you're, if you guys are inside one, uh, when you get up into the uh, attic of them uh, and you look at the ends of the boards up at the, on the, the top plates and stuff, they'll all have number stamps on them because they come with like a, an Ikea set of instructions to put them together. <laughs> so... You could get uh, a house on it, but it was also the main part of transportation to the west up through the 40s still. Right. The uh, uh, railroad traffic or trail uh, uh, travel, uh, it shortens the amount of time. You could go east to west in a day or two, a few days, uh, a week or so, as opposed to getting on a ship and going all the way around. Because this is pre-Panama Canal. So going all the way around or even through the Panama Canal is still going to take you a month and a half, two months, whereas you could get to east and west very easily. Um, and so that makes commerce and business faster, more efficient. Uh, that lets the exchange of goods and services, and it just really changes. And then travel just explodes because everybody wants to see the west. And what better way to see it than through the windows right through the west, just cutting out and seeing the great expanses, especially in Arizona. At what point did they add passenger cars? Passenger cars were already already a phenomenon of railroading in the east. So as soon as they figured out that people want to come west, uh, uh, and that's what puts the stagecoaches out of business because you could put a train car on with 50, 60, 70 passengers as opposed to a, a coach with six. And then they, you don't have that much people. So then more hotels, more restaurants, more, 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 more. <laughs> Talking trains with Dr. Dean, Grand Canyon University history professor. And the answer to the trivia question is true. James Douglas, founder of Douglas, Arizona, was a Canadian. We'll take everyone that answered true and grab a pick a random right winner and send you a set of park passes to one of Arizona's 35 state parks. The Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Look at me, I'm a train on a track, I'm a train, I'm a train, I'm a chicken train, yeah. Look at me, I'm going somewhere, I'm a train, I'm a train, I'm a chicken train, yeah. Oh, and we're going somewhere this segment, we're going all over. The Gatson Hotel in Douglas, Arizona is one of the last grand hotels in the country, opened in 1907. It was burned in 1928 and promptly rebuilt. And the original telephone switchboard from 1929 is still on display at the Gadsden Hotel in Douglas, Arizona. But we're going to take a quick sidestep off of trains. There's a lot going on in uh, above us. The SpaceX had that big launch landing uh, this week. The... <laughs> This one kind of creeped me out. The Wall Street Journal, their issue, their space issue, titled Future of Everything, 
talked about the potential mining of the moon. I mean, don't we kind of need that for tides and everything? But they're going after helium E. Helium three. Helium three. Three. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. A metric ton of gold is worth forty-two million dollars. A metric ton of helium three, five billion dollars. A hundred and nineteen times more valuable than gold. Because it's used as an energy source, they think it's a very a much more efficient energy source. Is that how that works? I think helium-3. I just don't know if we should be mining on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of Lost in Space. I don't care what value of that is. I don't know that the moon is our answer for mining. But we also had the first photograph released of a black hole, and we took time this week to visit with Dr. Sky about what it means. You know, I don't think anybody really truly understands this. You talk to some of the astrophysicists, and there'll be different interpretations. And the image that was just produced here is quite fascinating. The whole story goes like this. A telescope called the Event Horizon Telescope, which, by the way, is not an optical telescope. It's a series of radio telescopes. And they use the side of the entire Earth. They call it a fancy term called interferometer. They use each of these baselines, and they just extend it like a giant ruler so that they can get better resolution in radio waves. So what they did, they were looking into the Milky Way galaxy at the center of the core of the Milky Way is an alleged black hole called Sagittarius A. And that's what I thought they were going to be imaging. But unbeknownst to me and a lot of people, their research has gone through this strange galaxy called M87. And it's 55 light, million light years away. And what they've actually done, and you have to salute these scientists for me, because they've actually got the first so-called image of some area around a black hole called an event horizon. And as people are having coffee this morning, I'll try to make this as simple and direct as possible. Inside a black hole is something called singularity. That's where all the light energy of whatever it's pulling in, it cannot escape. It's this single point. As you go away from that, this radius of the singularity is called the event horizon. This is this black area that we see in this image. So if you're in space, you would see this deep, dark black thing like maybe like a giant black ball bearing in space. And what's interesting is on the other side of that, on our side, nothing obviously can escape from that event horizon. Everything from that point gets stuck. So here's a simpler way to put it. If you take the radius of singularity, you have something at the edge of this, which is where the escape velocity of light is is so powerful, nothing can escape it. To put it in simpler terms, to make the sun a black hole, you'd have to collapse it, Romy, down to about two miles of diameter. So if the sun were collapsed, it would then seemingly become a black hole. If you did that with the Earth, how about this? The Earth's size would be nine millimeters in size. So this is bizarre. So there's really, you know, kudos to the scientists that they even got images of something like this. The first time they've actually been able to image this. So what Hawking was talking about and other scientists. There really does exist this uh, en- enigma called a black hole out there in space. You know the and most amazing part of all of this? This image proves, once and again, Einstein's theory of relativity. How many years removed are we from that? And it's taken how many billions of dollars in this research yeah. to figure out what he did with a, a graphite pen and a piece of paper? What Absolutely. kind of mind did this man have? <laughs> Totally incredible, Romy, stuff that, you know, they say genius is obviously so special. Two more telescopes are being added to the event horizon, one in Greenland and another at Kitt Kitt Peak National Observatory right here in Arizona. Our claim to fame. (laughs) There are two opportunities to learn more about this. One is with Dr. Sky, 
April 27th. Go to dollysteamboat.com, and their steamboat ride, they kick off late in the evening, and they go ride out Canyon Lake on the steamboat and talk astronomy. They'll be covering that. Also, U of A will hold a free lecture on the efforts that required uh, in this photo. It's April 17th, this Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. at the Nature Resource Building, number two, room 120 in Tucson. A couple opportunities to learn a little bit more about it. But back to trains. Dr. Sky, are we building a train to Dr. the moon Scott? yet? How about Dr. Dean? Dr. Dean. Well, I got all kinds of doctors around <laughs> me today. Well, as significant as the black hole and these kind of scientific discoveries were to our present day, the railroad was such a huge significance to its day. Um, there's a, a Historians often make that kind of equation that the space race, what it did for the 20th century, railroads did for the 19th century. So there is a connection there. It's just building a railroad to the, to the stars, right? <laughs> Uh, um, Different did, kind of horsepower. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I did want to kind of point out, you know, to the north, we have uh, railroads arriving that helps with the Flagstaff. And, uh, and as part of that uh, arrival, the uh, Atlantic Pacific uh, Railroad heads out. They get a land grant of about 14 million acres and a, uh, $100 million in financing. And off they go. And eventually in uh, 1881, they finally arrive at Flagstaff and then continue on over to Needles, uh, California. And that's how we get that northern track across uh, there. Then from there, they spur down to Prescott. And they, they have a little one that spurs off down to some of the southern Arizona towns off the southern Pacific one. And then you get every little mine wants their spur because the easier they can get their ore to market through the trains. And so we end up with that those little lines that go everywhere, including the little one that goes up to the canyon at that time. The mining stats that uh, Nicole put together for you on this were incredible. The 445 mines, 72 uh, facilities, 11 smelters. Yeah, that, that's big numbers for a population at the time of, you know, what was it on that census? Less than 40,000 people? Yeah, less than 40,000 people. And, 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 you know, we— Copper has always been one of our five C's, and that's very important. But we do have some gold mines, some silver mines here, but it's mostly copper, which is an uh, important uh, ingredient in the industrializing alloys that they need back east. And so uh, it's just profit, make money, uh, uh, and the railroads are really helping them do that, making our state's economy grow. Um I also think that the kind of interesting is the politics that come around when we build the road, the railroad down to our territorial. I generally don't put politics and interesting in the same sentence. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a personal preference, right. though. <laughs> well, it's funny because again, I talk about this as a microcosm, and when we look at the railroad build between uh, up at Flagstaff area down towards uh, Prescott. You've got what's called the New York Syndicate, which is these group of investors that wanted to control this versus local mining interests that wanted to build the railroad and finance it. And they go back and forth, and the territorial legislature has to get involved. The territorial governors are trying to negotiate this, and they come to a compromise. But even if they come to a compromise, there's still the factions between the two as they, they try to, again, manipulate the political system to try to take advantage to control these things because it's all about, at the end of the day, that profit. Uh, so we can't escape any of those national kind of things when we look at our microcosm here of railroading in Arizona. And today, we've still got a very active rail system that was all, you know, the the foundation laid from 150 years ago. 
Yeah, you can see railroads all through when you drive around the state of Arizona. Uh, there's some abandoned railroads and things, but a lot of which have been turned into hiking trails, and that's a lot of fun, especially because, um, as you mentioned, you know we're we're looking for elevation. Mm-hmm. An abandoned railroad track is a very easy hike. Right, it's like a one and a half to three percent grade. It's very. I very can good. handle that anytime. Yeah. yeah, and 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 while we might think that that's kind of a scar on the land it's actually kind of a way of reclaiming the land in a more green and efficient way to get people to use those without building new trails and things uh, plus we also see evidence of these things as you drive to california you see the train on the side you see go up to flagstaff the train station a depot is very important we just preserve our, tr- our train depots in prescott and flagstaff and tucson and wickenberg's chamber of commerce is the old train b- station mm-hmm. and so that so we're reusing those old buildings for new things and 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 you can't escape that if you just look around on the environment look around where you're at you can't escape the impact of this even though you know you're sitting at a traffic light or sitting at a train stop and you're counting the minutes because you're late to work trains are still really important to arizona even today I cross one at Grand Avenue and Northern, and, and about once every three or four months, I get stuck. I, I get stuck and a little late to work Saturday mornings waiting on the train. And, and, of course, the secret if you're going up Grand is to catch the train and follow it because the lights are always green going up Grand. You just have to be disciplined to pace the same as the train because mm-hmm. you know, you're only going about 30 miles an hour where— uh, right. you, you know, but if you just just lay off that gas and pace it, you'll go the whole way. Yeah, get all the way up to Sun City <laughs> and right on out. Yes, yeah. Um, so, what I think uh, one of the other important things I want to kind of point out about our railroads in Arizona, not just the economics, is you know you understand that they were also had some negative effects to those things. Uh, obviously, they were used for the military to help uh, put down uh, Native American revolts and to subjugate those populations. Uh, they were, have an environmental impact of hunting and, and, and exploitive resources and things. So the, the story of the trains is not always glorified, but they have to take the good with the bad in these kind of stories. And, and they are part of the big part of building America. Um, and we have here in Arizona just a part of that story. And, would, I mean, would you change it? You know, I don't think you could. Exactly. <laughs> you don't you don't, you don't get the where we are today, and of course the the Highway Act in the 1950s supplants railroads to where now trucking and automobiles and travel by car becomes kind of the replacement to that, and so train travel diminishes. Uh, we do have an Amtrak line, I think, that comes through in northern Arizona. Yeah, at, at Flagstaff, that's right. the Southwest Chief. Yeah, so so Gary but, D's I mean, dad worked on the rails. Yeah, I'm a Southern Pacific man. Ah, very good, very good. <laughs> and he even streams the live stream from the Flagstaff. Oh depot. yeah, I, I tell you, <laughs> hey, I the love the train's coming. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, this virtual stop rail fan on YouTube, folks. If you're a train fan, go ahead. Uh, well, that's that's great because because it's part of our lore. It's, it shows up in our musical history, uh, all that kind of stuff. Even. Uh, even Will Rogers, you know, said something about uh, he, uh, railroads. He said, you know, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit still. Hey, good point. Yeah. So, life lessons from Will Rogers. He had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of good ones. Now, there's one more interesting point, but I'm going to save for our next break uh, that actually kind of goes back to the beginning of it all and the, the purchase of the U.S.-Mexico land when it all the Gadsden purchase because we will need a little bit more time than we have left in this segment to cover that sure and that's related to the Gadsden hotel which you just just mentioned that's why I was going to save it for the next segment (laughs) 
We're on the same page. <laughs> the light just went on for Gary. <laughs> the Rosie on the House Arizona Hour, driven by Sanderson Ford. Train, train. On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, I was really waiting for the little engine that could, but I, you, you held out restraint. Good, I know that took discipline. Good job, Gary. Well, I've been working on the railroad. That's so cliche. <laughs> but it's so good. I know. In preparation of this, I have been working on the railroad. <laughs> ah! Now, was it you or was it Nicole? Nicole's Rodriguez? been working. Yeah, she's been. She worked very hard on this. Now, Nicole, you put together six pages of research here. Is this something we can put on a PDF and throw on our website for somebody that's interested to download? I mean, you've got how many hours did you put into this? Oh, it was a few days of research. Well, Spent a lot of time in that. the Arizona room at the Phoenix Library. So, so yeah, you're more than welcome to post it. The she's Air- very good at what she does. Yes, this is very impressive. Now, a publication I've been enjoying reading is called The Territorial News. I found it uh, last month when we were leaving the hotel in Florence, Arizona. This is published out of Apache Junction. It's a bi-weekly publication, your connection to the Old West, and they play a trivia game with their readers. And this one's question is, Arizona's early growth was fueled by what's known as the five C's. Copper, climate, cotton, Cattle. Cattle. Citrus. Citrus, yes. Rails, the trains for the transportation, is critical to four of those five. Mm-hmm. And those other four aren't possible without the fifth one, climate. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things to really kind of make all this really touch off in Arizona is the Gadsden Purchase back in 1853. After we concluded the war with Mexico, we paid $15 million to them for what's essentially lots of Arizona and New Mexico, parts of California whatnot. But... As it turns out, when the surveyors came through and said, well, we really need this flat southern Arizona area to bring the railroad through, oops, we didn't get that piece of land. So we bought another 29,000 square miles of land that Gadsden purchased in 1853 for another $10 million. Which was done with James Gadsden and Jefferson Davis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of the uh, pre-Civil War, Jefferson Davis serving in Congress. He was a big advocate of the railroad and wanted a southern Imagine that, because uh, he was from Mississippi, wanted a southern route. I see a look on your face. Well, I won't. I'm. I'm not going to go into a history battle with a history professor. I think Jefferson Davis was from Kentucky. He served in Louisiana because Rosie was born in Jefferson Davis Parish. Right. South. Right. 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 Born in Kentucky, he re- but he was. He called Mississippi his home for a period of time. Okay. And then uh, uh, during the after the war, he was in Louisiana. Uh, and they've got a big tribute to him in the Civil War Museum there in New Orleans. Which I've not been to, but here's phenomenal. It's they've really got great. That and the World War II Museum. And the World Museum. War II Museum. You've got to see that. That's a must-see. We'll save that for a whole other topic. Yes. <laughs> hey, I do want to uh, just kind of uh, give a shout-out to Rosie, who's uh, uh, still uh, recuperating a little bit. Uh, but i got a book here for him, uh, Jay Wagner's book, Arizona Territory, uh, 1863 to 1912, A Political History. I'm going to send home. This is probably the best one-volume book on uh, that looks like ten history. volumes. 
Uh, it's, <laughs> it is uh, 400 pages or so, but uh, it's a good read, and a really lively read on um, for 400 pages on a political history of territorial Arizona. Best Wally one volume book on that period of time. That so. is a topic I'm he loves. Put my Nostradamus uh, hat on and predict that the seven o'clock Arizona hour content of 2020 is going to be heavily focused around that book. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a great read, and it, and what's nice is it ties the politics and the and the the environment and the little towns and the places and the names, and it really just does that in a way that's very very readable and understandable. Yeah, some and so. of the history is pretty brutal. We've been watching Rosie and I've been watching Who Made. Um, Men Who Built America, uh-huh. the series on the History Channel. It is incredible. Just Rockefeller, Carnegie, just very powerful history. Yeah, Rockefeller's mantra of pay no profit is what made his success because instead of paying the guy to put uh, to buy barrels to put his oil in, he bought the factory that makes the barrels and he bought the trucks that, that put the trucks in. So he could pay no profit, and that's how he made Well, he decided he didn't want to pay the railroads anymore to, to haul his— his oil, so he built pop- pipeline. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody done that before. It's yeah, just, just pretty incredible. Yeah, go around them, pay no profit. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so that's a good read there. That for uh, for. Uh, Thank you. Here. He'll appreciate that. He will. I get it first though. Okay. <laughs> and on Facebook, I put up a bunch of. Um, it'll be up in a few minutes here. All the not all, but a lot of the train parks and trains that you can see and ride in Arizona, all the way from Flagstaff, Tucson. Because there's a lot yeah. starting when you say Flagstaff. Let's, let's jump over to Williams. You've got the uh, train, the train, the train, the Grand Canyon, Grand Canyon Railroad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming over to Flagstaff. Uh, there's one. Mm, which one you mentioned? Flagstaff. Grand I'm Canyon not- Railway and Hotel. That's Arizona. Williams. Okay. Yeah. So then you've got the one down in Verde Valley that goes up to Cornville. Mm-hmm. Verde uh, Valley Railroad. There's the Daisy Mountain Railroad in Anthem. I don't know that one. It's, it's a little park. It's real cute. McCormick Railroad Park is amazing. There's one that's off of Pinnacle Peak and about 43rd Avenue right next to what used to be Waterworld USA. It's changed so many times, but that's what it was when I was growing up and forever. It'll be Waterworld USA. The, there's like four miles of trains there. Tucson. Uh, they they've even got a club in Tucson for people that want to build train sets at their home, and oh, they yeah. exhibit a lot at the Saba Home Shows where we, we originally seen them. They've got all kinds of train uh, homes with with little train tracks all around Tucson. Well, and of course the McCormick Park has a big indoor train set uh, there too. So it's we'll, a work of art. We'll publish this resource guide and. You've got all those links to trains throughout Arizona. Dr. Dean, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us in, and thank you, Nicole, for helping out with this.